everyone, and welcome to This Time Will Be Different. Today, I'm joined by Joseph Sharizzi, founder of Open Dollar and Solidity De Developer. Joseph, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. I'm doing fantastic. That's awesome. I've been really, really excited for this episode. I've been looking forward to it all week. <laughs> it's Monday, but I've been looking forward to it all week. Yeah, me, I've been, I have been too, all day. Awesome. I think it's going to be it's going to be a good one. So Joseph, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like how you got into crypto, the whole Joseph origin story? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've always really loved digital currencies since I was playing RuneScape in 2007 with my homies in fourth grade. And yeah, I just, I, it always made sense. It always uh, seemed like, yeah, you know, RuneScape gold is just as valuable as real dollars to me. And um I've had a couple experiences like in 2008, my family almost lost their home to the financial crisis that kind of radicalized me against banks and in favor of this idea of being your own bank and building a more fair and transparent financial system. So that's that's been really appealing to me for a long time. I was studying computer science in college and I ran into someone who worked at Consensus at the time. And this was like just before the ICO boom. And they said, hey, you know, you really should try learning this this programming language solidity, you know, crypto and blockchain. It's not just the financial part. Like you can actually really build things now that we have this programming language. So I joined Consensus as a developer in 2017. I got really into solidity and have kind of been hacking and, and working on different DeFi protocols and, and NFT things uh, since then. That's awesome. So walk me through what you're thinking at the time. You go through the 2008 financial crisis. Do you hear about Bitcoin around this time at all? Or like when you were approached by the consensus guy, were you like pretty fresh? I think it's so easy now, like 10 years later, for everyone you meet to be like, oh, yeah, I, I got into crypto. I had Bitcoin. I was an investor in 2012, 2013. <laughs> it's like, man, you bought weed once on Craigslist from somebody, you know, <laughs> like, no, I, I wasn't into crypto. I wasn't into Bitcoin or, or anything like that super early. And I did not really like the idea of Bitcoin or, you know, the financialization of, of these types of technologies. I was always really into uh, code breaking and cryptography and being a cypherpunk uh, when I was a kid, but it didn't really hit for me until I realized oh, there's, there's solidity. There's actually this programming language that lets me build useful things. And then I kind of got, you know, head down and, and really got into everything. That's cool. What were you doing before this? Before crypto? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, originally when I started in computer science, I wanted to work on computer vision things. And that's actually what my first patent on the wall behind me is for. So I was, I was doing kind of AI stuff on images and generative image things that seem really common now, but were pretty novel at the time. So you're going to sue mid-journey. I mean, no, I'm not going to sue mid-journey, <laughs> but I definitely... And you say like... Yeah, go ahead. With one of your patents, how many patents do you have? I have three patents. That's three more patents than I have. Yeah. <laughs> So you've got the AI image generation patent. Mm -hmm. What else are you? Have you yeah, got? basically three different versions of the same one for that, mm -hmm. but they count as their own thing. So I'm gonna, uh, you know, if if I'm bragging about myself on a podcast, I'm gonna tell you that I definitely have three. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Super super interesting. You're 
it's one of the reasons why I was so excited for this episode is because I genuinely think you're one of the, like you have two titles in my mind. You've got like one of the most interesting men in crypto, and you're also one of the most wholesome people in crypto. Oh, thank so you. It's hard to be both interesting and wholesome. Some of the stuff you were telling me about when we were catching up um, was super interesting. What do you have? An, you have an Emmy? Yeah, I've, I when I was working at Discovery Channel, the project I was working on won an Emmy Award too. What was the project? So it's called SDVI Rally, and it was a cloud media supply chain. And I guess I didn't even know it when I started there, but there's like a bunch of awards that are like behind the curtains that nobody ever cares about on all these award show things. And Discovery Channel owns like tons of different networks. And so they need to like automate all of the media coming in and all the editing that they're doing and digitizing that was was really innovative at the time. So some people built this platform called SDVI Rally that I worked on a very small amount. I'm not going to take credit for, you know, the people who who really put it together, but it's something it's something that I contributed to and I think the idea was, you know, some of the projects going through it were computer vision related and, you know, they're trying to sell trashy American reality show for TLC, right? Like 90 Day Fiance or something that Discovery Channel owns and sell that to the market in Singapore or, you know, somewhere or Saudi Arabia, somewhere where it's illegal to show a person smoking a cigarette on TV. And so they can make a lot of money and do things a lot faster by automatically editing all the videos that come through as soon as it, it gets recorded. Uh, and, and instead of manually editing cigarettes out, you know, make a very simple computer vision model that can just block it from the screen from just frame by frame. So it was, it was things like that and, and automating captions and subtitles and, and some, a little bit of, uh, you know, computer vision work on that too. That's super interesting. I didn't know that you could get Emmys yeah. in like those kind of categories. Yeah. There's, there's all kinds of ones, you know, the actresses and actors, you know, run, run the front, but there's all, there's always nerds behind the scene, wherever you go. <laughs> what are you drinking? I'm drinking a Buffy corn IPA brewed at East Denver. I, uh, raid brewed. Can, can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. Actually, that's super interesting. <laughs> like, I didn't know about all of the the beer. I didn't know about yeah. the on-chain beer culture until I went to East Denver. Yeah. So I think it'd be interesting for people. I got a blood of Moloch with me too tonight, just in case. What kind of beer is that? Uh, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. It was, it's something, <laughs> it's something really dark. I think it was a, a oatmeal stout or something like that, but yeah. It, yeah. So how did this start? How did you end up brewing beers with a bunch of other crypto nerds? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, I, I love DAOs um, so much. And just the idea of it, collective ownership is incredible and we should do every, every single experiment that we possibly can with different types of collective ownership things. So yeah, we had, someone started a DAO. Uh, I'm not sure exactly who started, it might've been Deacon or, or someone else, but somebody started a DAO to, Hey, let's, let's brew some beer at every crypto conference and just like unveil it as soon as we get there and have used different local breweries in different countries and cities. These were some of the ones that they came up with. And if you yeet into the DAO, then you get shares and you can vote on what, what beverage gets brewed next. And, you know, that kind of, uh, that kind of control or like customer feedback loops don't really exist even in independent breweries, right? Like the customers don't get to vote to decide what beer gets brewed next. 
And so that kind of autonomy yeah. is, I think, you know, really cool. How do you convince breweries to let you do it? Yeah, I mean, I was not involved in that in that part of it, but if you give people money, they'll like do most things for you. <laughs> oh, is that how the world works? It is. Yeah, yeah no, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you're like a big Dow guy, huge, huge Dow fan. You were also a part of the early days of Meta Cartel. Is that correct? Yeah. Can you walk me through how you kind of went from you meet this guy at Consensus, you learn about Ethereum, you start learning Solidity. Then you dive into DAO. Is Meta Cartel how you like get your first taste of yeah yeah DAOs or so basically I, I was still in college uh, in 2018 when I went to my first ETH Denver and I uh, I couldn't afford a hotel room. I just kind of like stayed awake the whole time or slept under the table and I just like skipped a week of school to go to ETH Denver. And when I was a, a senior in college and ETH Denver, I just got super into that. I was like, oh, I'm learning so much stuff here. I think uh, the second one in 2019, I ran into Peter Pan and Pioneer Pat and a bunch of other like Meta Cartel OGs. And at the time, there was basically only two real DAOs. There was like the DAO from, you know, Ethereum, like the overall that everyone knows from the DAO hack and all that stuff. And there was Moloch DAO. And there were there were really no other DAOs. There was kind of, okay, Maker DAO kind of, but it hadn't really DAOified itself very much yet. I think that came later. There was all this funding at the time for infrastructure projects and for developer tools. And there was no funding for the actual app layer. And people are coming up with the most like outlandish things for what blockchain could do, you know, a hundred years from now, everyone's going to use blockchain for like all this, you know, crazy stuff. It's like, we're not ready for that. That's it's not happening. <laughs> We need like actual apps that people find useful now and that the technology is on the level of. So MetaCartel was kind of started with this idea of fund the app layer. And a couple of people put in a lot of ETH and people like myself did sweat equity. So if you work for the DAO, then you get shares in the DAO. And now you can vote on how to spend that money. And like a hundred projects or so, I think have been funded from absolutely no strings attached grants from Meta Cartel. Uh, the biggest one, the most successful now is probably Gelato Network and a lot of other smaller oh, no ones way. that, you know, were just were just getting started and, and needed a five thousand dollar grant to kick things off or ten thousand dollars. And just a, a small amount of money like that can can really go a long way with a lot of builders. So there's always been like incredible energy around Meta Cartel. And uh, I'm really proud of what the group has, has accomplished over the years. I mean, who else is trying to experiment with funding public goods? Like how many people in other industries are dedicating their lives to funding the infrastructure that nobody else wants to pay for? Yeah. Just those experiments and governance is worth pursuing and is really fun to hang out with all the home and pretend that we're at you know the greek forum and like hey guys let's invent a new kind of governance because what we have right now in the world is not working and we can just you know experiment with random things and and see what uh what works and what's different what's new yeah and so speaking of governance mm. <laughs> one of the things i've been most excited about to talk to you about is your participation in local governance sure so Where's the city you live? What's it called? I live in Falls Church, Virginia, which is the smallest city in America. Yeah. So so <laughs> I find this super interesting and I, I was really excited to get jo Joseph on here to talk about it. But Joseph, as he said, lives in Falls Church, the smallest city in America. 
And he takes an active role in his local government. And what I really love, or made me really happy to see, was that you posted a bounty. What was the bounty exactly? Yeah, on Pixar or it didn't happen. And yeah. it's like $15 or something to go speak at whatever municipal body that in the city or town, wherever you live, anywhere in the world, and just say something that you care about and just make a public comment. And that's it. I love it. I love it, especially because this morning I saw a tweet from Coinbase. I think it was like Coinbase Legal or something. And it was, they had an infographic in one of the tweets that was like 31% of people, basically 31% of people who aren't boomers own digital assets. And like 4% of people who are boomers and above own digital assets. Like we need to get younger people into our governments. And that made me think of you and like the work that you do to like be heard in your local government and how you're trying to, you know, inspire others to do the same. And it made me really fucking inspired <laughs> like after yeah. seeing that Coinbase tweet and then like thinking about you and what you do. I was like, I want to get involved in my local government. You're know, like, I want to go to the town hall and start speaking up and you can do change, that. Or at least trying to. If you go to your <laughs> town hall anywhere in America, they are legally required to give you at least a few minutes to speak. They have to listen to you. You can just go there and speak to your city council and they have to listen to you. They don't have to do what you tell them, but you know, making your voice known is I think really important. And I think also most people would be shocked to learn most elected, the majority of elected positions in the U S are unopposed are unopposed races. Cause there are so many small cities, small towns with comptrollers, with boards of city council members, with tax board members, you know, that are, are elected positions. There's no one running for them and are totally unopposed. And if young people realize this, we could just take over. You could, you can probably take wherever you are. You can probably take over your local government. My wheels are spinning. Yeah. <laughs> They're spinning so. Yeah. So how did you get into this? Um, like, have you always been interested in your local politics, your local government? Or like, was there, how did this happen? Yeah. So basically I bought a little house and I turned my entire front yard into a farm, reject the homeowners association. And my homeowners association was like, Hey, you cannot plant corn in your front yard. That's like, that's not okay. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go over your head and I'm going to go find a municipal ordinance that says I am legally allowed to plant corn in my yard and there's nothing you can do about it. And in doing so, I went to a city council meeting and I said, Hey, this is something that I care about. I think we should have local policies about that. And people actually thought it was a really good idea. And I started getting more Were attention. You surprised? I was surprised. Were you I, like, holy shit, this is working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the cool thing about living in a really small city like I do with a population of 20,000 is the mayor of where I live, the mayor of Falls Church actually has office hours every other Wednesday morning. And the city is so small that I can just show up to office hours and be like a huge pain in his butt and he'll listen to me and I can show up and say, hey, this crosswalk needs to be repainted. It's not safe for kids getting to school or that, you know, this park, uh, you know, needs to be cleaned up because it's really messy right now and, and public works has skipped over it. And that stuff will happen. And it doesn't happen if 
uh, no one points it out, and it does if you organize locally. I have always been under the impression, I mean, I'm in crypto, right? I'm like, I, I feel like this is played out. I feel lame even saying this, but you know, I'm a bit of a contrarian, <laughs> you know, like I've kind of tended to go against the, the flow of the water at every opportunity. And my assumption was that I couldn't really make a difference if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of thinking that what you're telling me is that I was wrong. And that like, there's like so little competition <laughs> to make a difference in this, like, in this area that like it is would be possible like should i go i'm feeling inspired to like become a politician at this point in the conversation <laughs> you know I'm like i want to go out there i'm gonna fight for things like tornado catch you know i see you guys. represent represent so i i don't want to be a politician i just want to be a leader in my local community and at some point you have to ask yourself why are you as a man, not a leader in your local community? Dang. You know, uh, so I, I beg all the time. I go to like town halls with different DAOs and I'm like, hey, you guys are like doing these great governance experiments and like trying new forms of governance that have never been tried and trying to figure out like reinventing the wheel a little bit on how town halls work versus forum posts versus, you know, different things. And how, to, how do you get engagement when less than 2% of DAO participants vote on Tally or on different DeFi DAOs, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, people have been thinking about that for a while and don't reinvent the wheel. Like I, every single day I am begging, if you're a DAO bro, I am begging you, please go to your local city council meeting and just say something. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, I think you're wrong. And I think personally, uh, your local government has a much bigger impact on your day-to-day -day life and the quality of your life than the presidential elections that everybody focuses on or global events happening far away. You know, you should be maximizing your own control over your surroundings and giving yourself as much autonomy as possible, which is another really like big value in crypto is, is about autonomy. And you could have a lot more of it if you took over your local government. That's crazy. And like, I, you just made me have like a light bulb moment because in all the time I've spent in DAOs, I have not once thought to look at like my local town hall <laughs> for inspiration and that like governance, you know, yeah. like, I am one of those guys who's like trying to reinvent the wheel without looking at diagrams of past attempts, you know, yep. like I'm just like, like, that's crazy. Like, dude, we have, we have hundreds of years of history of cooperatives, of farming cooperatives, of guilds, of, you know, all this stuff. Let's study it. Let's, let's learn from it and build something better that has not been possible to build before without crypto. And there are a lot of those. There are a lot of things that are not possible to, to create without crypto that we can now do, but we gotta, we gotta learn from the past too. I think we're going to call this episode taking over your local government. It's a good name. It'll get clicks. You know, that's what I'm all about. Yeah. <laughs> so taking over your local government, step one, just going to town halls, kind of putting your opinion out there. What's step two? Step two is yard signs. Yard signs. <laughs> yard signs Explain, and a landing please. page. Yeah. So, so look, you know, I don't have a driver's license. One more way for the government to track me, right? That's not why I don't have one, but I don't have a driver's license. <laughs> Do you drive? I don't drive, but I bike everywhere. And having safe biking infrastructure and bike lanes and stuff like that is important to me. So I started Bike Falls Church with some other friends and I made a landing page. I bought $45 of yard signs and I put them up along the bike trail every hundred yards or so. And it took less than six months 
for more than 2% of the city's adult population to sign up on our email list. And you'll find there's been a lot of... 2%. 2% of the entire adult population in the city has signed up for our, our bike bike group. And you'll find there's actually a lot of research on movements. And when a movement is more than 25 to 3% of a local population, it almost is guaranteed to succeed. To succeed. Uh, and that's true at many different scales. So now we have like a critical mass of people that we can get to show up at city council meetings when they're picking the budget and deciding, oh, we're redesigning the street. How much parking should we have versus bike lanes? Uh, and we have influence. And that goes a long way with improving the quality of life and, and getting to the agenda that I'm trying to do to improve my own surroundings. So really, it's just like get some friends, get some friends and, and take over. Just make it happen, you know? I need to figure out something that I want. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then I can start going for it. I think the best way to do that is just to show up at a meeting and say the things that are important to you. Is it privacy, kids getting to school safely, lowering taxes? Is it raising taxes? Is, you know, whatever it is, just go up and say something. And the people who also believe in that, who are trying to organize around it, they will find you. Right. And mm -hmm. there's actually this huge growing movement in, a, in America right now. And I think across the world, but, uh, you know, I can't speak to things beyond my experiences around urbanism and really designing the future of cities. And to me, one of the most like unique things about the time that we live in right now is the urbanism and is designing, uh, designing cities. And the Internet is probably the other one and like where we are with technology. But only in the last decade, for the first time in human history, the majority of humans live in cities. And I think that is going to be true forever, like for the next 10 million years. Most people are going to live in cities. And we have to decide, do you want to live in a solar punk city or the city from Blade Runner or uh, Disco Elysium or, you know, which... Which future do you want for humanity? Create your own dystopia. Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> and and we have to decide right now, are, are we going to live in, in, what kind of dystopia are we going to live in? And let's start designing policies around that right now. I'm inspired. <laughs> I'm going to do this. I hope you do. I'm, 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 I'm going to find, so how do I, what do I look up? I look up like, so I'm in Las Vegas. You're in the um, city limits of Las Vegas? Like, I believe, I don't know if like, there's like different neighborhoods outside around it. I don't know if like that counts as a city. I guess I got to study up on my, you got to, you got to find out who represents you. Right. So number, number one is find out who me. represents you. Is there a neighborhood council? Is there a city council or a mayor or, you know, what's, what's the level for the, the zip code or the city that you're, that you live in? All of their meetings are going to be posted publicly and they're going to have, you know, bi-weekly or weekly, or maybe there's a planning commission, planning board meeting that's looking at something and they probably on their agenda, which it also legally has to be posted publicly. Every like elected body has to post their agenda and there's going to be a, a portion that says public comment and you can show up and, and give a public comment at your local school board, at your local, literally anything and find, find the people that are, are doing the work to improve the place that you live in. Or you'll find the people who are who are making it suck and you'll be like, hey, this person sucks and they also have this position and they ran completely unopposed. You know, let's let's fix that. <laughs>
Dude, I think I just uncovered some like strange shit. It looks like in my city there's like a privately owned self-appointed council. Mm, yeah, Vegas Vegas is probably an outlier because it's, <laughs> it's fucking weird. Yeah, it's Vegas and they have uh, you know, some laws they have to follow or they don't, but you know, it's it's different in different countries and and in different states and stuff, but there's almost certainly some elected body if you live in a democracy and they almost certainly want your vote in the future and are willing to to listen to you. I found how to get started in this now. Yeah. I found a list of like the council members Yeah, and they have different wards and I think yeah. the ward is like an area. Yep. So I just got to figure out which ward is me and then I see start harassing this person. Yeah. Or, or not <laughs> harassing or being, making friends, you know, <laughs> I'll make friends. I'll make friends. And it doesn't have, it doesn't I have feel to like be about everyone's going to be so, I live in like a, re, not like a literal retirement community, but everyone around me is super old. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> like I'm going to be the youngest person in these meetings by like 50 years. That's the, <laughs> that's the other side, like millennials and, and young people are just so busy trying to meet their basic needs right now that they don't have time to engage in not politics necessarily, but just municipal planning like they used to. And just in this country, we're having like huge civic decline in the number of people that vote or the number of people that are engaged with these issues is, is uh, it's not at an all time low, but I think it, it could be a lot better. I agree. And I think it's interesting. I remember, I can't remember where I heard this, but I, I remember hearing, so, I think it was like a tweet or something years ago, but it was like, if you are able to say that you don't care about politics, you're speaking from a position of privilege. Meaning like if you're in like a war zone, like politics are all you care about, you know, like, when it's like if you're living in the US and you don't really have to care, like it doesn't affect your day to day life, you know, like you don't like you start to feel like you don't have to care. So you stop caring about it. I feel like you're on to something with like how we can start to change that. Just like, I really like the way that you approach it because you've made it seem a lot more approachable to me. Uh, and like in the way that you talk about it too, like with bounties and stuff, you know, like putting up a bounty to go talk about, it makes it a lot more understandable because in my mind, like my local government is just this like obtuse, opaque organism that I have no idea of how to take part in or penetrate or even understand, you know, but like from listening to you, I'm like, well, maybe. I just gotta try. <laughs> just gotta yeah, try a bit hard. I'm sh I'm sure that view that you have about it is shared by most people. But also, if you have never looked into it, how do you know how opaque it is? That's true. I've never given yeah. a public comment where the people were like, Ugh, "There's too much engagement. There's too many citizens that care about their neighborhood." You know, I wish there weren't as many. It's always, "Hey, thanks for coming. I wish you brought more friends." That's all. I, I don't have any friends in Vegas, yeah. so I won't be able to <laughs> do that, but I'll go, I'll talk yeah. my ass off. Sounds like free therapy. You're telling me they have to listen yeah. for at least two It's minutes. very therapeutic. <laughs> I went, I went to Fairfax County, which has a population over a million and actually has, uh, Fairfax, Virginia actually has more tech workers than San Francisco because of the internet exchange there and lots of data centers. And there's a lot of IT workers for the government that live in Fairfax, Virginia. They had a law on the books for the last 20 years that said, if you build a townhouse, you have to provide 3.5 parking spaces per unit, which is crazy. And it ends up with huge unused parking lots all over the place. And so at the planning commission meeting, like I go there with some friends, we're like, Hey, fix this. They way, way lower the minimum. 
And over the next 20 years, that is going to be 1 million fewer parking spots in a county, like a million, like not an exaggeration, like a million parking spots. How different is the city that you live in if it had 1 million more or 1 million uh, fewer parking spots? Like that, that is like a very uh, drastic uh, change in the, the day-to-day life of, of millions of people. And this is like a huge, huge county with millions of people that live here. And this is going to be a policy that they're not going to revisit for a decade. And you know how many people came to give a public comment at that? It was like 11, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and where is everybody like, Hey, we're, we're taking over. We're here. We're making time for it. And we're going to improve a lot of people's lives because of it in in a small way, but it, it compounds and, and it adds up. And if there's a dozen people in every city doing that, then it will have very, very large impact for the climate, for housing affordability. And for a lot of these other things that the urbanist movement, I think really cares about. That's super cool. I'm going to get a gang together. Now we're going to hit the streets. Dude, get a gang together. Hell yeah. I'm st- There's more and more crypto people moving out to Vegas. Yeah. I feel like I, I keep hearing about more people. So pretty soon we'll, we'll have our 2% movement. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll be ready. Yeah. We'll you, be ready to go. You, t- you talked about Coinbase. Like they are trying to, you know, get all this policy through Congress. And, you know, there, how many geriatric boomers in Congress know how email works? Never mind how crypto works, right? They're, yeah. they're 40, 50 years behind on technology. They're not going to be able to regulate crypto. So what, you know, what, why isn't Coinbase funding, you know, young people like us to take over their city councils and then take over their, their congressional districts and then take over Congress in, you know, they should have a long-term strategy for that. And it should be uh privacy should be a value of, of this movement too. I think we, when we were talking, you said that you also have like a position in your yeah. local government. What, what's your position? What are you doing? Yes, I am the chair of the Environmental Sustainability Council for the city of Falls Church. And nothing I say represents that organization or the city. And everything I say today is, is just from me. But I love participating on it. And I did not know that I was going to become chair or you know become so involved when I just showed up. Uh, to make a comment once, but it's been like an incredibly rewarding experience. And I feel like I've learned a lot about governance that I can take back to all the DAOs that I contribute to and am involved in, you know, from, from doing that. Do they pay you anything? No. (laughs) I was like, I'm trying to, so what is, what are the responsibilities? Like how much time per week would you say you're putting in to like this role? A few hours, you know, we have one monthly meeting. That's three and a half hours. And then there's a little bit of prep and I'm trying to do uh, the rest of my like organizing during the rest of the week. But mostly I'm working on open dollar and really focused on the DeFi protocols that I'm building. And this is something that I do on the side because it gives my life more autonomy and it really helps me improve the neighborhood that I live in and the city that I care about. I imagine it's fulfilling as well. It sounds like it would be fulfilling. That's the goal. (laughs) Find fulfillment on my internet and IRL adventures. Yes. Your main focus right now is open dollar. So let's let's dive into open dollar. Sure. What is open dollar? Open dollar is a new stable coin and collateralized debt position protocol being built for Arbitrum that's backed by liquid staking assets and Arbitrum native tokens. And it has a couple of really unique twists that I think 
will make it the most flexible and safest stablecoin and lending protocol in DeFi. What are some of these uh, unique twists that you speak of? So my favorite way to explain this is you would never take out a 30-year mortgage on a house if you could not sell the house until you paid back your debt, right? Nobody would do that. Yeah. That's not a good deal. <laughs> you have mm -hmm. to be able to sell your assets and use that to pay back your debt. Uh, and pretty much in DeFi, because all of our debt in lending protocols like Aave or Maker, you know, the debt is tied to an account. And it's really silly because it's limiting the feature set that we have in DeFi and limiting the things that we can do in DeFi. So we could be matching the feature set of traditional finance, but there's these these kind of clear weaknesses that we're trying to go after at, at Open Dollar. So an Open Dollar, what's different is your debt position is tied to an NFT and it can be traded. So you never have to pay back your debt if you want to get out of a position. You can just sell the NFT that represents your debt position. And the same is true for getting into an account, into a position rather. And if you have the open dollar stable coin and you want to get out of the stable coin, you can buy somebody else's debt position, pay back their debt, and unlock those liquid staking tokens or other high quality collateral that's backing it. So when USDC depegged earlier this summer, you know, you don't get to call up Circle and be like, hey guys, uh, send me three treasury bills that are backing USDC. Okay, bye, thanks. You know, at 2 a.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> they don't do that. Yeah. They don't do that. Uh, but on Open Dollar, if you want to get out of a stablecoin, even if there's zero liquidity anywhere, you can just buy somebody else's position who already has debt, pay it back and, and unlock the underlying because it's over collateralized. So the value of the collateral will always be more than the value of the debt. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's dive into this a little sure. bit. So for anyone who isn't familiar with some of the, like the mechanics that we've been talking about, okay. when you're right now, if I go, so Joseph is building a CDP backed stable coin. CDPs are a part of like a lot of different DeFi protocols. It's how you mint DAI and Maker. It's how you mint Rye and Reflexer. Um, pretty much all the AIs. <laughs> it's like how you. It's how you open a position. How you mint stable coins. Right now, if I were to go to MakerDAO and create a vault, uh, which is what you like, mint these stables through and put collateral into it. That vault is tied to my wallet, and I can never sell that vault or transfer that vault to another person. So what Joseph is talking about is. Essentially, with his project, you're going to be able to make a vault and then transfer it to another person, which creates like a lot of really cool optionality. I loved your mortgage example. I never thought of it. I've, I've talked to Joseph about this a bunch, and I've never thought of it like that. That was a really good way to explain it. But like people, I would not take out a mortgage if I could not sell it before it was paid off. Um, and that is right. it's a, it's a similar concept. Right. So people who want to hold Lido ETH or Rocket Pool ETH for a very long time, you know, I think there's a lot of people that just want to hold that and earn the yield for the next 10 years. But you still have to pay your bills or you still want to be able to invest in other projects or, you know, other other investment rounds or be part of the, the rest of the bull market happening. You can borrow against that in a way that is safer and more flexible than any other lending protocol in DeFi and borrow the OD stable coin at a very fair, you know, low, low rate. And then if you want to get back your collateral, you don't have to find open dollar anywhere. You can just sell sell your whole position. That's super cool. 
I'm really excited to uh, to try it out. Yeah. So it's live on testnet right now and at opendollar.com. And the mainnet launch is coming really, really soon since we just finished our Code Arena security audit. And we're kind of getting ready for the, the final stages of mainnet right now. That's awesome. How have I never looked at your site until just now? Your site's good. Thank you. I also didn't realize you were already in testnet. I got to get on testnet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> got to get in there. So you're launching on Arbitrum. Why did you decide to go with Arbitrum? Arbitrum is the DeFi chain and it's attracting the most liquidity for liquid staking tokens the fastest. And I think we start there with something really unique and, and prove our concept and show that transferable debt positions is really the way to go and unlocks a lot of really cool new experiences for DeFi. And then we can expand anywhere else uh, as we need to. When you say expand, like you, you're open to the idea of going onto other chains and other layer twos. Right. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good use cases and there's a lot of good you could do for the world by creating different types of, of lending markets. I think the last DeFi bull run was kind of defined by this idea of be your own bank. And the next one could be defined by the idea of be your own central bank. So let's talk another good tangent. Let's talk about this a little bit more. So Geb framework, what does it allow you to do? And like, how do you think this kind of feeds into that narrative you were just talking about of like, be your own central bank? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think the Jeb framework is really powerful. That's why we picked it to build Open Dollar on top of, and it lets you launch stable coins in a really easy. It lets you launch stable coins in an easy way and make it so that there are really strong incentives for keeping it stable, giving power to the people who are launching it or, or, you know, have a governance framework that is, is also minimized and helps create longevity. So one of the ideas here is if anyone can launch their own stable coin with their friends or with their community or, or with their, their city or, you know, anything, as long as, as long as everyone participating agrees on a particular collateral, then you can all agree the value of, of the assets in it. And you can all agree on uh, the stability of the stable coin. I think there's a really powerful thing here where we can have these type of agreements and these type of really fair, transparent lending markets between people that just create more peace in the world and let people customize the financial, the type of financial system that they want to participate in. And maybe there's somebody out there who thinks that using the dollar is unethical because the dollar is backed by, you know, the United States military or whatever, whatever you, the full faith and credit of, of the U S government. And if you're against that, then you should have an option to not participate and have the autonomy to have your own stable coin and your own money. So, sorry, I'm kind of I'm kind of rambling here, but No, I love it. Keep going. But You're good. <laughs> yeah, to me it's all about autonomy and and giving people the the freedom to choose what type of monetary system that they want to participate in. That's super interesting. I love um I think you said it's like a way to make uh like a more peaceful a more peaceful world. I think that's a really cool like point to harp on here like you said. Sure. With the U.S. government, I mean, like if you, I personally believe this, you you don't have to believe me. You don't have to side with me on this. I personally believe that you cannot claim to be a nonviolent person and also pay taxes in the United States of America. Oh, that is a I, hot like, take. <laughs> 
like I think that like if you are paying taxes in America, you are contributing to violent actions. And like I don't think I'm not saying like oh America evil. Like a lot of governments participate in violence. I, I would say all governments on some level participate in violence. But I just don't think that you can really be like you know what I am a pacifist. I don't. I mean, you could say you're a pacifist, but like you're at the end of the day supporting or you're supporting a military. It's not a very pacifist thing to do. <laughs> you know, and yep. I think there's really something in this concept of nonviolent, peaceful money, you know, yeah. like, and I don't, I think people don't really think about, it. you know, like when people ask like what backs the US dollar, a lot, a shocking amount of people will tell you gold, shocking amount of people believe the US dollar is still backed by gold. <laughs> and then like the, like the other answer I get is like, oh, well, like it's what you pay your taxes in. So it'll always have value because it's what you pay your taxes in. But it's, it's just like, I think what what we're building towards, what Open Dollar is building towards, is really inspiring because it is it's a it's a money that is not backed in any way, to my knowledge. I at least haven't figured out a way that it is, but to my knowledge, it is not backed in any way by violence. Right. Um, and I think that's something to strive for. You know, is like money that isn't really tied to the state. And I actually I had someone. I said we should separate money and state on a podcast recently. And then someone messaged me saying like, oh, I didn't know you were libertarian. I have never looked into libertarian ideals ever. So I have no idea what they are. I just know how I feel. So I'm not like a libertarian trying to push that down anyone's throat. Sure. But like I do kind of feel like separation of money and state is like, I would personally like that because I feel like state is attached to violence and I would like violence not to be attached to money. Right. But that's just personal opinion. <laughs> I mean, I'm very explicitly not a libertarian. I don't believe in libertarian ideology at all. Uh, I think most of it is pretty dumb and juvenile. But I would like to see more peace. I would like to see less violence for the future of humanity. Those are like goals to strive for. And this is one of the things that made me want to get into smart contract development uh, you know, over the last several years is this idea of having agreements that can be settled by math instead of settled by uh, enforced by violence. So for all of human history until like 2017, if you had an agreement between two people and you disagreed, how do you enforce the actual agreement? You know, eventually if you and I disagree about something or you stole money from me or whatever, you know, Eventually, the police are going to show up and put one of us in jail or we're going to our kingdoms are going to go to war or, you know, if we're cavemen, we're going to hit the other one in the head with a rock, whatever, you know, for all, all of human history since the beginning, every agreement that has ever been enforced has been enforced with violence. There, ha there isn't another way to do it eventually, you know, after peaceful means fail. And for the first time ever, we can write smart contracts that have conditions that certain things happen if conditions are met and agreements are enforced by math on a distributed computer instead of by violence and building an entire financial and monetary system that meets the needs of people today peacefully, I think is, is worth pursuing or at least trying. That was uh, profound. Yeah, man, you got to do it. It's really, it's like a super interesting problem too. And like, I hadn't really thought about how smart contracts, I hadn't thought about smart contracts in that way. So you kind of just blew my mind a little bit. And that like, it's the facilitator for nonviolent reconciliation. Is that the right word? Agreements, like, enforcement. Sure. Yeah. You know, like, because like right now, for example, you know, if you put up anything as collateral, someone and you don't pay your loan, someone is going to come get that 
collateral from you. You know, there's a repo man that like will come and repossess your car if you don't pay your car payments, you know, and like, right. We don't really have that on chain. <laughs> like hopefully, hopefully we don't need it, but it's right. And if you physically restrain, sorry, if you physically restrain the repo man, when he comes to get your car, like guess who comes afterwards, the police. And if you try to fight the police, like, guess who comes after that? Like the SWAT team. And, you know, now, now you're on a libertarian farm, you know, having a gunfight with the FBI or whatever. Right. And that's not ideal. Yeah. Nobody, I don't, I don't think anyone should be in that position. So, but that's how it's always been for forever until 2017. And until the last few years where we actually have DeFi that we can make these type of loans and these type of agreements fairly, except you can't get a car loan on chain, you know, because there's no way to liquidate things. So you have to have other, other collateral. Well, if our crypto is peaceful, now you can use that as collateral in open dollar and do it in a way that your loan is transferable because we're matching the feature set of tra of traditional finance that DeFi hasn't been able to do yet. Man, how do we get this message out to retail? And this, and like, I say that from the angle of, We've got a pretty bad rep right now, you know, mm, like sure. the, the crypto space in general has a pretty bad rep. Like I think we're all like NFTs and meme coins <laughs> and like, uh, you know, we have FTX. I've been seeing a bunch of people talking about like, oh, like this is a, a win against crypto by taking FTX down. And like, I don't, I do not see that at all. I'd like, I wanted him going down too. I think most people in crypto wanted Sam Bankman free going down. Absolutely. Um, I did. I don't think anybody celebrated SBF you know, his sentencing, I don't think anyone celebrated that as, as hard as the crypto bros. Yeah. Like, that was agreed. a great day. That was a great day for crypto. You know, one, yeah. one less scammer. Sketches are great too. Really entertaining. Right. How do we as like builders and natives of the space make it so that the mainstream narrative people are getting is one like this of like peaceful money, you know, like, and not the whole, like, 1000x on dogecoin chiba inu pepe you know like how do we capture some of this mind share not mind share some of this attention yeah i mean if you go watch old videos of bill gates trying to explain what the internet is in the 80s and 90s they were all making fun of him too and mostly the internet was porn and loners and chat rooms right uh, but now it's really useful because people built useful applications on it that convince people to join and, and use it. Uh, I don't think it's a UX problem anymore. I think, you know, how to onboard a million people, a billion people really comes down to, did you build something that improves their lives? Yes or no. And for most people, the answer is still no, but we're, we're rapidly getting there. And I also don't think crypto ever replaces traditional finance but it gives people an option to not participate in it, which we don't really have right now for a lot of reasons. I also wonder if like, we always talk about, you know, you know, onboarding new users and stuff like that, but a lot of the stuff that we build, like the, the parallels, like to Aave, for example, the parallel to Aave and traditional finance, not everybody is really, well, Aave is a bad example. A lot of people take loans out. Let me think of another one. Velodrome, let's just say, you know what I mean? Like the average American, like, does they're not participating in like the TradFi parallel 
to Velodrome. I don't know if there is a TradFi parallel to Velodrome. This might be like a really terrible example. But what I'm trying to say is that like the parallels to what we're building aren't really used by the masses. They're used by like people in finance or people in like a specific field. And I sometimes wonder if we're kind of missing the mark on being like, oh, we've got to like onboard, like all the, like maybe we just need to keep making better products and not worry about like user friendliness as much and like making it like easy for retail as long as we just build a better ship. Right. You know, like people will eventually come to it. There's still no easy UX, you know, retail version of getting a flash loan for a hundred million dollars, doing an arbitrage and paying it back in the same block. Right. There's still no, there's still no UX or app for that. And I don't think there ever will be because the average person does not need to ever do a flash loan, you know, an under, under collateralized loan that they pay back within 12 seconds. People don't need that. But before that was invented in 2020, there was never a way for a normal guy to borrow a hundred million dollars whenever he wanted. Now there is. That's obviously an improvement to society and levels of playing field for hedge funds that are able to borrow assets or you know borrow huge amounts of money very, very cheaply. Now you can do it too, just in your bedroom because you can take a flash loan from Uniswap or Aave or you know these other places. Just having that as an option, even if it's not built for everybody or built for the masses, it's still worth worth doing because you're just making finance in general more open and transparent. That's my view anyway. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think like what I said wasn't to downplay anything sure. that's been done in DeFi as much to wonder. I, I wonder if like the whole not I was going to say like a real hot take. <laughs> say it. I wonder if this like social fi thing, you know, like should we care so much you know like i don't i just feel like going after things like i feel like what you're saying is what we should be focusing on as an i've also had like a few of these now <laughs> and like just riffing so i just wonder like if we should not care as much about the masses and like instead build continue to build for sort of like the the people like the DeFi power user and I'm just thinking out loud. This isn't really my opinion. I'm just sort of like bringing stuff up for the sake of bringing it up. But like, I I don't know. You know like, I feel like we almost might get, this is kind of evil, actually. You know, like really, if the goal is to grow, it's not so much about the masses as it is about TVL. And in that case, you're essentially like continuing to build products for the people with money. And now that I'm saying this out loud, I kind of feel like this is the direction we've gone in anyways. <laughs> it's just like we continue to build things to bring... TVL on chain. The people with huh. the money are also the ones who control the government at a high level and decide what protocols to legalize or to ban. At some level, if every if every hedge fund in America is using Uniswap every day, they're gonna lobby Congress and they're gonna make Uniswap legalized, you know, or or some version of it, uh, and that will make it easier to get it out to everybody else too. So, so we've got to build for the hedge funds. So we don't have to. We don't have to. There's a non-evil, you know, end state that we can still be working towards. If that's your goal. I, I want to build something that is useful for the people that are in crypto right now and that see the vision for the future that I have where it's going to take over a lot more parts of finance. It's going to grow. It's going to be huge. Liquid staking is going to be something that exists for a very long time. And it's important to people that are here now. And there's still a lot of problems to solve and a lot of features to build to get DeFi to a state where it even has the features of traditional finance and, and can start to compete with it. 
So that's that's kind of one of my goals for Open Dollar right now. And if the masses are ready for crypto in five years or 10 years or next year, I don't know. But I'll build something for them too and uh, just try to improve people's lives by giving them more options. What is your overarching goal? And I know you kind of just like talked about it a little bit, like building these products and stuff, but like you're further out than that. Like not like five, 10 years. Like what's, what's 50 years into the future that Joseph created? 50 years <laughs> from now. Uh, I don't know, man. That's a long time. Probably, there's a lot less parking lots. There's a lot less parking lots. There's there's a lot more trains. We've solved climate change. We've replaced big banks with community-owned DeFi alternatives. And you know, I can talk about the 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 state that I would I would hope for. But there's a lot of work to 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 do to get through to to any of those like very very long term goals. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I I don't know if I think about uh, things in in fifty year uh, timeframes, but hopefully I, I own RuneScape by then. And we've turned RuneScape gold into a, a digital currency that everybody uses and, you know, stuff like that. Is this an actual goal? Oh yeah. That you have? Yeah. Yeah. How much is RuneScape worth? Uh, like $300 million. We'll get there, man. Yeah. Eventually. Does it still have players? Like oh, a yeah. decent player base? Oh yeah. Big time. Maybe I'll have, maybe I'll have some more patents. Maybe not. We'll see. But I definitely think 50 years from now, crypto will still exist. Ethereum will still exist. Bitcoin, maybe. Who knows? I think it has like two more happenings left in it before just because of the security budget, it probably goes to zero. But who can say for sure? What about Solana? Oh, I, I'm not going to say anything about Solana. You can't, you can't <laughs> trick me like that. If, so you don't think that Solana DeFi Summer is going to catapult it to compete with Ethereum in a meaningful way. Look, if people build useful things on Solana that improves people's lives, go for it. I'm happy for them. Man, I was really hoping I'd get you in some some hot take spiciness here. But pers personally, <laughs> right now, it, it's it's not a big interest of mine. Very very political. That's what I'd expect from the head of environmental sustainability. Oh God. <laughs> No, I really don't want to be a politician. I just want to be like a, an organizer with my friends. I could see myself transitioning into, I would, I could see myself being a politician eventually. I could see but that. Like, I you. would have to, yeah. Have you ever done those, like the Meyer Briggs personality tests? Uh, I try not to. <laughs> Why is that? I feel like they're kind of like uh, eugenics uh, light. How so? What is eugenics? What is eugenics? Uh, like yeah. trying to control the population or... Um, you know, saying like, what's, what's our, what's the master race or what are, what, how are humans supposed to be in terms of like breeding or like nature versus nurture. Uh, so I'm, I don't know. I'm just very cautious of, of things that people give labels to like that. Like I would never, I would never take an IQ test or I don't really want to know what my, you know, personality, whatever is. Yeah. Like, does that create an imaginary ceiling? Yeah. If you like, if you take an IQ test and it tells you you're dumb, you're like, well, guess I got to stop doing all the smart shit I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Or, or it tells you that you're smart and then you become so full of yourself that you miss uh, opportunities to learn and grow again. Yeah. So either, either way, well, I don't want to know. I don't want to know any of these things about myself. The reason I asked, <laughs> my wife recently took uh, one of those like random online personality tests. Oh, and, yeah. like, she sent me the results and was like, what are you? 
And so I did the little test. And my personality type is a champion. <laughs> I, I like I like to Excellent. champion things. <laughs> so I feel like that lends itself into politics, you know. First, I will I will champion Jeb protocols, <laughs> and then I will champion something in the city of Las Vegas. I don't know what yet, but it's going to be something. A second orb. A second orb. Yes, that's my platform. Two orbs. Wh- who? In what world is there only one orb? Yeah, two eyeballs. That's you know? right. Like you need, you need two orbs. Yeah, that's what you should get up and say. You know, we have this one orb, but it's privately owned. We need a publicly owned second orb to compete. <laughs> yeah. Did you see how much money they lost in like their first whatever? Yeah. Like 100 million. It's a lot. It's crazy. It's a lot of money. Could have done like, a lot of good with that I, money. Yeah. I walked by that thing the other day and I will, one thing, there's a lot of shit to say about the orb. <laughs> one thing I will say is it's like, a, it is a marvel of modern manufacturing to me because Vegas is so hot. It is so hot the majority of the time. And like, I can't imagine how you can make some, I just don't, I don't understand how they keep it operating. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't make sense to me. The, the only, the only great things America builds now is highways. We used to build skyscrapers in every city and, you know, transcontinental rail network and, you know, the fir- Vegas the first time. And now the only thing we can do, figure out is, is highways in the giant orb. That reminds me of, Yesterday I went to the smoke shop because I, I capitulated on quitting smoking and I started smoking nicotine again. And I, I get back into the car with my wife with this little pink vape and she looks at it and she just goes, men used to go to war. <laughs> <laughs> now they smoke pink vapes. <laughs> Why are you yeah, as a man me. smoking a vape instead of giving a comment at your local city council? You're right. I gotta go do it. I gotta go give a comment. Well... Joseph, thank you so much. It was great having you on. I really enjoyed our conversation. And I'm going to rethink how to live my life as a man now. And I'm definitely going to go make some comments in City Hall. But I hope you do. Send yeah. me the video. I will. I'll, I'll bring my wife and be like, just videotape me. So, yeah. so Joseph knows that I'm really out here representing. But, um, where can people find you on social media? And where can people find Open Dollar? People can find Open Dollar at opendollar.com. And I'm Cup O Joseph on Twitter and everywhere else. Amazing. Thank you so much. And I hope to have you on again sometime yeah. soon. Thanks for having me, Reza. Mm-hmm.